Good evening, audience. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to House of Strauss Call In, uh, the podcast where you can actually interact with the hosts or co-hosts in this case. And I can hear them in the background. One Ryan Glassspiegel of New York Post. Ryan, how you doing? I am good. I just had to turn off the Bluetooth, which was on in the kitchen where I was doing the dishes and I managed to do that without exiting the app. So big ups to me. That's very impressive. I uh, definitely do whatever the equivalent of butt dial is with my Bluetooth device, but that's not very exciting. I'll tell you what's exciting folks. It's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar ripping LeBron James over a Spider-Man meme. And uh, we'll get into that. We will get into that. I don't know what Ryan's takes are on that one, but I want to know, I find that, (laughs) particular episode to be one of those in between uh in between scenarios where it's just not even clear what side of any political aisle that it is on uh and it is intriguing to explore so as a quick preview a mental pti side scroll if you will just imagine (laughs) it we're going to be talking lebron kareem aaron Rodgers. but first i want to go into your sphere of expertise ryan uh I I regard you as something of a sports television expert. Is that something you would wear? Is that a badge you would wear? I I think that's fair to say, yes. (laughs) Uh, I've been studying, well, I've been following sports television since I was, what, like six or seven years old, but I've really been covering it since 2014 when I was at the big lead. And um, so I, I, I do like really follow it very closely. There might be a few people who know more about it than me, but I'm definitely like in the like top 1%. I think it's how we became friends who never met each other in person (laughs) officially is, is this exact fixation, this nerdy niche of ours. And I regard you to be objective in this realm and objectivity is very hard to find. I mean, it is a fascinating industry. It's a bit wacky sports television, massive sums of money are at stake. And because of that, the sports leagues lie, they misrepresent, um, and a lot of people just don't understand the basics of it, so they run with the lies. So it's very difficult to find somebody who knows what's going on and is willing to be honest about it. And I consider you one of those people. And we were presented, and, and by the way, I want to extend something to anybody in the chat that by all means, if you guys are interested in whatever we're saying, jump in the queue. Uh, ask questions, you'll take questions throughout. So just so you know. But the thing to lead off with is an interesting thing happened. um, And that is Christmas on a Saturday. Um, Typically, if Christmas is not on a Sunday, or not on a Monday, the NFL has one game, one game on Christmas to go against the NBA Christmas slate. For those of you who don't know, and I assume most in this chat know, NBA Christmas Day, that's their biggest night of television, maybe even bigger than the NBA Finals. And in this case, with Christmas on a Saturday, the NFL went with two games, two games on Christmas. Next year in 2022, it is going to be Christmas on a Sunday. The year after, 2023, it's going to be Christmas on a Monday. Ryan, was this a move? Or was this just coincidental taking advantage of how there's not as much on TV and maybe some chaos in college football or whatever? I have no idea. I don't even follow college football. Uh, Do you think that this is an encroachment and the NFL is effectively trying to kill the NBA's uh, big night? Definitely an encroachment. I don't remember 
whether it was an executive from the league or an executive from Fox who said this it, when they announced the schedule. But one of them said when they when they announced these two games, we are looking to plant our flag on Christmas. Yeah, that's not good if you're the NBA. And um, I would return to some of what I have written. I think that uh, the NBA viewership story is an interesting one. I think something funny has happened. And this is broader. For the people uh, listening who might not be so big on sports, I do think that you can see see a broader story here in how if a certain topic is making people of influence uncomfortable, they try to stigmatize it. They don't really try to discuss it on its merits. It becomes about how you're weird if you're talking about it. Why are you bringing that up? You're, uh, you've got a strange fixation. I, I've obviously written about how the NBA effectively roughly lost half its viewership within a decade. And one of the issues with something like that, beyond just losing cultural capital, um, and I, I know a lot of people would say, hey, the, the NBA is going to sign a bigger TV deal. You know, the, the billionaires aren't going to go broke. The players aren't going to go broke, right? Um, but one of the issues is that when you have weakness, weakness gets taken advantage of. And I think the NBA in this scenario, they got a little bit weak. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you think the NFL wants to seize this night and put their stamp on Christmas regardless. But um, five years ago on ABC, the NBA was pulling down uh, 10 million people for its big game, its biggest game. Three this years ago. So Yeah, yeah, three years ago. That's true. Although they combined... ABC and ESPN to get there, and that's a whole other thing, right? Uh, yeah, but, but they yes. did that. They did that for Lakers Nets this year, and granted, Durant was out, but yeah. that game drew like five point seven five million on both of those networks. You're, yes, it's been an especially precipitous fall over the last three years. That is true, um, but. I, I, I would make the one-to-one comp for a half decade ago because it's so easy. I can just say, hey, Warriors Suns, that gets around $5 million. Uh, Five years ago, Warriors Cavs, better matchup, obviously. That gets about $10 million. Y- You know, if you're the NFL, you're a little bit perhaps scared to try to put your stamp on Christmas if you're going up against an eight-figure number from another sports league versus a $5 million person speed bump. And I guess that's the argument I'm making is that that kind of weakness does invite that sort of predation. Do you think I'm off there? Well, um, no, I don't think you're off. I, I also, you know, I, I, I like wrote down a bunch of the numbers. So oh, I, I think we Give need me. to back up and talk about how the NFL did versus the NBA on Saturday. So we, we mentioned that um, Nets Lakers on ESPN and ABC got 5.75 million viewers. Warriors Suns on just ABC got 5.2 million. So um, you guys know those numbers now. So guess in your head what Colts Cardinals got on just NFL Network, which is in far less homes than ABC, and then Browns Packers on Fox. So Colts Cardinals on NFL Network did 12.6 million viewers. Mm. And Browns Packers did 28.6 million, which would make it the second most watched NBA game since like the Jordan era. And so, uh, <laughs> including finals, uh, yes, is, is including what he means. NBA folks. finals, it, it, yeah. it would be second to the, to the Cavs Warriors game seven of a few years ago. And <laughs> so, 
the the NFL, like I don't think that people reflexively realize how much more popular it is, not just than the NBA, but everything else on television. And it's been like just really remarkable that as everything else is like hemorrhaged viewers, all other sports, all entertainment programming is just like really given away to like a lot of fragmentation in media to streaming and video games and social media and so on. The NFL is like as strong as it's ever been from an aggregate viewership perspective. And so it's like a really wild divergence that is like especially manifested in the last three to five years. I don't know, man. I heard that uh, pigs get fed and hogs get slaughtered, uh, <laughs> as Mark Cuban once said a few years ago. I mean, that's the craziest thing about what you're saying, because people take it as whatever happens, we take it as obvious that it was going to go that way, right? But a few years ago, the doomsaying in so many publications about the NFL's future, it was pervasive in all the prestigious uh, publications and even on ESPN, there were people saying that the the NFL is going down. There were people, people of repute, making the claim that the NBA would overtake the NFL as the most popular sport. I mean, they, they, it was said in in major publications, and uh, you're you're right. It's more of an NFL story than an NBA story, right? I mean, the N- NBA was just the the trendy league that was put up against the NFL. Uh, but that is the main story is how the NFL has just broken away from everybody else over the past few years. Well, yeah. So, um, Paulson sports media watch who, um, I think we both agree. He's got like really valuable data over the last like 20 years of sports television. We don't always agree with his opinions and interpretations of that data, but it's like very valuable. We, we value the site. Yeah. All tabulated. So he he tweeted on Christmas Eve a lot of talk about the NFL upstaging the NBA on Christmas, but this is nothing new. Shaq versus Kobe won in 2004, the most watched Christmas game of the past 20 years, averaged fewer viewers than the 7 and 8 Chiefs against the 5 and 10 Raiders the same day. Now, the the NFL game got 15.8 million that day and the NBA got 13.2 million. And so that, that That is not like an attractive NFL matchup, certainly not on the level of like Browns Packers, but um, it, it's like, more, like so you, you can't really compare the NFL to that, but you can compare the NBA to the NBA and it, it's down by much greater than 50%. It, it I, went I'm, from- still, I, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around Browns Packers uh, shitty game on this last Christmas getting the viewership of Game 7, like really roughly the equivalent viewership of Game 7 2016 NBA Finals, LeBron blocking Iguodala's layup <laughs> off the backboard. I mean, that's something to wrap your mind around, really. Well, in fairness, I mean, the Packers are the best team in the league now by record. And it was yeah. like, the, the it wasn't a very great game, but the Browns did have, a chance to like drive for the game at the end. And so like it was a one possession game in the final couple minutes. Um, and so closeness like really drives a lot of this viewership more than like on the tails more than like yes. how aesthetically pleasing the game is. But no, it, it, it the, the, the popularity of football compared to basketball in this country is like 
truly astounding, and I really don't think most people realize how vast the disparity is. Well, but going back to your point about Mark Cuban, yeah, he made that comment, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered in 2014, as like the NFL was adding like more windows, especially on Thursday night. He doubled down on that comment in 2017 because, like, the NFL had down years in 2015 and 2016 attributable to kind of like Kaepernick kneeling a little bit. And then also, like, a bunch of quarterbacks were like going down or retiring. And um, then Trump came on the scene and news cannibalized sports. Like, news news and sports and sports to sports, as we've been talking about, are kind of like substitute products. And so in 2017, he was like feeling like really hot about that comment. And then from when he doubled down on it, the respective fortunes of the leagues like went in totally opposite directions. But you're absolutely right. Like in like 2017, 2018, people were really talking like serious, well-respected people were saying the NBA is going to catch the NFL. And those predictions certainly have not come to fruition in that time frame. Yeah. And I think it'd be interesting to try to analyze why it's obviously multi-factor. Certain factors are more taboo to discuss than others. Um, But I think it's all of them. It's a perfect storm. It's a confluence. But the way they do political talk is, is interesting. I don't know if, I mean, you follow this a little more closely than I do. Are there executives in the NFL who talk politics as openly as, as Mark Cuban does? Um, or are there broadcasters for the NFL who do it as much as Stan Van Gundy does? Are there coaches who do it? Does that happen and I'm just not aware of it? And is that a component, you think, and a lot of people feeling distance from the NBA? And I don't think it's just because maybe the politics are, are politics that they disagree with. It's just, oh, this is heavy. They're talking heavy stuff. I, I don't want the heavy stuff. That sort of sense. You know, they did have it. They had, like, Joe Lockhart, who was, like, a longtime, like, Democratic operative as, like, head of PR for the league. And I don't, like, I guess, don't, like, quote me on this, but, like, Jerry Jones just, like, put the kibosh on that. It was like, no, we're not dealing with this anymore. I mean, they, they, um, the, the league has, like, donated, like, a lot of money to yeah. a lot of, like, social justice causes, some of which are, like, controversial now which like i don't want to like get into like the nuances of bail no, no, reform but, but there are like a, a good lot of point like, it, it's a good point that you're making that for lack of a better word the nfl is almost more institutionally woke sometimes than the nba is but just nobody cares yeah i well they they the um nfl does not have it as part of the game broadcast nearly as intensely as the NBA has had in the last several years. And that reached a real crescendo in the bubble with like the names on the jerseys and everything. And I mean, the Bucks walking off of the court um, in wake of like the Kenosha incident, the Jacob Blake um, shooting. And so the, the NFL has been in a lot of cases just as woke as the NBA, but when their actual games are on, it's not nearly as much or it hasn't been nearly as much a part of it. Yeah. And it just seems like it's not as attached to any particular personality. Um, although you could say Aaron Rodgers uh, is connected to the Vax, uh, the grand Vax debate. And uh, we will, you know, eventually touch on that particular uh, 
Well, let's let's actually. I was gonna go Kareem LeBron. That's a good but, segue. Yeah, let's go. You know, why why am I looking a gift horse in the mouth? Why am I rejecting a segue? <laughs> and again, if anybody wants to get in that queue and ask a question, by all means, for those of you who don't know, Aaron Rodgers regularly goes on a YouTube show uh, run by a guy named Pat McAfee, who is a former NFL punter and is just a very charismatic football bro. I, I enjoy his YouTube show. Uh, he's got insights and relationships within that league that you wouldn't find otherwise. And weekly during the season, he does uh, nearly an hour-long show with Aaron Rodgers where you you do get a side of him that you don't usually get. It's funny. It's The show is making so much more news now. I, I watched every episode of it last season. I haven't really seen, with the exception of of the one post-vaccine that was very controversial. That's the only one I've watched in full. But there's something interesting happening where Rogers just keeps going on this show and saying things that really piss media members off. And I know you have takes on it, Ryan, but I don't know the (laughs) takes, so I'm curious to hear them. Okay, so my take on, like, Rogers and LeBron and, like, all these people... So in disclosure, like, I'm a lifelong, like, diehard Packers fan, and I've been to almost every like home playoff game that Rogers has played. Like I, I mm. um, very much like root for him to win. But- I, I want to give your full, I want to give your full Cliff's notes bio of uh, Biden voter who was writing for the uh, sort of at times Trumpian outkick the coverage. <laughs> Not <laughs> sort of. I mean, he, they, he Clay endorsed Trump. He had him on his radio yeah. show several times, but yes, I'm a Biden voter. I um I wrote for Outkick. Now I write for the New York Post, which is also I'd say conservative leaning. I think they endorse Trump. Um, mm. so I um like I'm gonna steal like a take from my dad, but it's like I don't like let a lot of like family members or friends or whatever like influence me on my thoughts on like vaccines or anything. So I I, like people get like so upset about Rogers, like challenging the orthodoxies of it. I just couldn't possibly like care less what any like individual athlete thinks about whether people should get the vaccine. My like personal vaccine take is I'm fully vaccinated. I haven't gotten boosted yet. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of forcing people to take medicine that they don't want. And so I'm anti-vaccine mandates. And I don't think that it's medicine that Rogers particularly needs as somebody who's one of the most healthy people in the world. And so I can understand his skepticism at taking that. Um, And I just, I don't get mad about any opinion that any athlete has unless that's like an opinion that can incite violence like if an athlete doesn't commit a violent crime or incite other people to do so i just don't get upset about their opinions that's like my take on it yeah i feel similarly um unless the take is absolutely egregious and we're going to start taking calls soon on it uh, with the Rogers thing. He said so much about it that I've almost lost track uh, at a certain point of 
what was bad uh, theoretically. I so know he said he, he 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 lied to the media and said that he was that immunized was when yes. he was asked if he was vaccinated in training camp. What he meant by immunized was that he had gotten antibody treatment, which I'm not sure why he thinks that is safer than the vaccine. He he said he's allergic to um, an ingredient in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine, but he didn't elaborate to what that is. So I'm not sure how many people actually believe that. But yeah. um, so he said he was immunized, which meant that he got an antibody treatment. And then when he um, sustained coronavirus. He said he took advice from Joe Rogan, which is like another lightning rod, and that he took like ivermectin and a bunch of other kind of like unorthodox medicines and improved in 48 hours. And people have really just like given him that like misinformation, like capital M scarlet letter, and get very angry every time he continues to bring the topic up. Yeah, and it sometimes feels that he's tweaking the media in a bit of a shit-eating way. It's funny. I think he's he's a little similar to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in that way. Uh, there is that distance and that aloofness, and you, you're smart, so you kind of wanna you kind of wanna rub the media's nose in certain issues. I do think that that's there. Uh, the ivermectin discourse is one that I I don't know. I haven't seen any proof that it's effective. I know that some of my readers were annoyed that I gave him a pass for that because uh, maybe people go out there and they get ivermectin and they think that they're they're saved. I don't I don't know. But the the point you raise is one that I definitely agree with, which is that these world class athletes with single digit body fat percentage, um, they're not so much at risk. You know, can we just admit that and have an honest discourse? I mean. I got the vaccine. I got the booster. Uh, you know, following these holidays, maybe I'm going from the um, the the teens in my body fat percentage to the twenties. <laughs> I don't know. It just makes more sense to me, right, to get it. But I don't think it matters as much, and I haven't seen any compelling evidence that it does. And the case used to be that well, they're going to spread it to people, and so that's what's irresponsible. But now it seems like everybody is going to get this highly transmissible new variant. So. I, it just, I'm not saying it's much ado about nothing, but I'm so against this weird paternalism where we have to freak out about what every athlete is communicating to the public. And I just wish we saw more trust, more trust in the public from people in media, more trust in the public from public health officials. I wish they would just say, hey, if you're old and fat, you really got to get this vaccine. Maybe not as much for the younger people, but it seems like there's this bureaucratic mistrust of the population. Well, and they were telling, like, a, there was like, a clip that went viral this week of, like, Rachel Maddow, like, slamming her fist on the table and saying that, like, if you take the vaccine, you're not going to get coronavirus. It ends with you. And we found that that is, shall we say, misinformation. Yeah. And um, so I, I want to take, I, I do want to, like, people are waiting and I, I want to take these calls, but I, I want to really read, I want to read this Pablo Torre tweet from December 21st, where I think it summarizes like the tone where people are talking about with Rogers and it just like is a little bit confusing to me. He said, Aaron Rogers put on an anti-cancel culture hoodie to spread verifiably false information about how India and Japan use ivermectin to treat COVID. Can we please stop pretending he's smart? Now mm. it's like, I, I don't know. I, I can't get mad about anything like, athletes say even if they don't have like their facts correct like it just it 
the amount of people that like can influence me about whether I'm going to make a personal decision on this like vaccine or not is like very low. And it does not like extend to like quarterbacks or basketball players. Well, Pablo is a friend and a possible subscriber, but I condemn him because I detect some inner elite competition where he's looking down his nose from his Harvard perch at my uh, beloved UC Berkeley. So I think that's, that's it's, I actually don't have any real love or care <laughs> consideration for where I went to college. I really don't care. But um, I, I do wonder if there's a bit of that, if there's a bit of, you know, this guy thinks he's smart. He's not that smart. And it does seem to be fashion. I mean, Rogers is talking like a normie. He's railing against cancel culture. You don't do that in media. That, I, I assume Rogers is an outkick reader, just based on the way that he talks. Well, but cer- <laughs> certainly, certainly a barstool reader. But let's let's start taking these calls. Let's start going with it. Uh, we got Jesse. I keep wanting to say la- on a landline, like I'm, you know, like I'm on the radio. <laughs> Jesse on a landline. Jesse, Jesse, are you there, Jesse? Jesse, are you unmuted? Hey, how's it going? Hey, Hi. how you doing, Jesse? Good, good, good. And I think, uh, you know, you guys talking about Aaron Rodgers and how on PC he is kind of shows me that I don't know if politics is the reason why basketball ratings suck anymore. Because, I mean, if mm. people really hated Aaron Rodgers and what he stood for, you know, they would stop watching football. But I don't. I think now we've reached the age where, you know, the Trump bump is over and we're not really paying attention to politics as much. And I think it's just the quality of basketball that's happening right now. So I guess I have two questions for you guys. My first one would be if you guys could change one rule or something about the level of competition uh, in the league right now that would help ratings. Uh, And, you know, maybe they're not going to get to 20 million viewers a a year or a a game, but, you know, better than where they are right now. um, What would that be? Um, I, I know they're trying this uh, in-season Challenge Cup that's coming up uh, probably in the next couple of years. Um, and it was pretty cool to watch that on, uh, with the WNBA on Amazon last year. So who knows if that's the solution, but I don't know what you guys think about that. And then also wanted to know about your thoughts on um, the NBA's app with uh, Microsoft that they're saying is going to transform the way we watch basketball. Um, what do you guys think? uh will happen there and how will that affect uh, their rights deal? Will, will the NBA take league pass in-house or in, start taking games in-house and producing on their own or uh, still get rights? I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, great, go first, Ethan. Yeah, great questions from Jesse. And I think for that first one, I might not be smart enough to figure that out. I know Ben Thompson interviewed Estratechery, which is the best tech newsletter in my opinion and these are friends so take it with a grain of salt but it's true uh he interviewed adam silver on the microsoft shift i think they've just had so many technical difficulties uh they need somebody to just take the reins a little bit analogous to how they wanted their own in-house television television network uh like the nfl had but they realized that they just were no good at it. So they had to have Turner run NBA TV. I don't think that exactly worked out. NBA TV is, is totally... Turner hasn't been great at it either. No, it's, it's, been, it's been complete garbage. As for what I would do for the league, I think, you know, it's funny. You raise this and people act like it's radical, but what's more radical than this crazy midseason tournament they're talking about? 
Uh, I would have fewer games, and I would have them on a regular schedule. I know Kevin Arnovitz, the ESPN writer, has floated something like it, where maybe you have something in the 50 range, right? I don't know how many it would be, but the main component would be this. It's that you would have two games a week. They would be on Tuesday and Thursday. You would always know when your team was playing, similar to the NFL. And maybe you have a showcase game on network television on the weekend, on a Sunday or a Saturday. And that way, you've got that regular, you've got that rhythm that you have with the NFL. And people say the owners would never want to give up that kind of money. Uh, I think they're not, they just don't want to take on the risk because they're making money and the risk is scary to them. But I think that risk would pay off and the league would be so much more watched that, hey, it's not just about how many games you play. The NFL, uh, the NFL has the fewest games and the biggest TV money. So that is what I would do, Ryan. Uh, I would adopt the Elam ending, like the end of these basketball games where it's foul, 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 timeout, timeout, foul, can be like really torturous. And I think the Elam ending would make them a lot more exciting and improve the flow. I, I'm not smart enough to figure out how to do this, but I would... Um, make it so that there are less three-pointers attempted in these games. It's gone up and up and up. The mid-range game is like almost completely dead. There are some players who take advantage of it, but um, for the most part, it is like just a never-ending barrage of three-pointers. And if they could figure out a way to make it less of those, I think the game would be aesthetically pleasing. And then I'm going to plead ignorance on the Microsoft app, I don't know anything about it, so I can't answer to that. Yeah. Um, we will move on to Scott, who has an avatar where he's holding a baby. I've been there, Scott. Let us, let's make you the next caller. <laughs> I've held a baby. What a dumb thing to say. Like, what am I trying to do as a host? <laughs> Scott, hey. how are you doing? Good. Thanks, Ryan and Ethan. Yeah, my son just turned 19 months. So. Oh, congrats. He's been a, yeah, a pandemic baby the whole time, so it's been... <laughs> been an interesting go um but yeah thanks for having me on uh you guys are both great congrats on the success at substack ethan thank you um i i was like i've uh grew up in the east bay live in san francisco now i've been a warriors fan for forever i was at the 2000 all-star game when the fans booed chris cohan and his son uh oh, it was so, so been good. there through uh through <laughs> thick and thin um but uh, yeah, I've I've still a Warrior season ticket holder and used to admire LeBron. But I think when he, you know, took his talents to South Beach, uh, that's when the phoniness really kicked in. And since mm. then, like playing the heel, I think it was just, he just couldn't really do it, or it wasn't genuine in a lot of ways because I think he likes being liked. Um, but so that's why I loved your article on kind of LeBron's phoniness, even if that wasn't named that way, but. Was wanted to get your take on who do you think LeBron is trying to kind of impress or win over? Is it just mm-hmm. the most amount of people? Is it no. or he just wants to broadly be more liked and thought of as better than Michael Jordan by peers? Or yeah, or Ryan, yeah, Ryan, what do you think? Um, Take it. Well, <laughs> until he posted the Spider Man meme uh, <laughs> um, on Christmas yeah. Eve. I would have said the the like kind of left wing establishment. Yeah. Um, he he's really ingratiated himself previously to that with um, the kind of like the mainstream Democratic Party 
and the like, you know, the Hollywood system. Like if you go through and look at all of like the entertainment deals that he's made, some of which have been like successful for the his partners, some of which have not. Um, I think that you can like kind of ascertain a, a clear pattern and the, the, the way that he kind of pushed back against Maury on, on the China stuff and said that like Daryl Maury should have been more educated um, than like than to speak out like he did, that that's like really about pre- protecting the um, kind of like income e- ecosystem that he has over there with both like sneakers and his entertainment platforms. And so I think that he it has been on like a path towards trying to like accumulate the most wealth that he can. And that that was like in many ways his means to it. Yeah. I, I think some of it, it's hard to know chicken or the egg, but Lynn Merritt has definitely pushed LeBron as Muhammad Ali behind the scenes at Nike, the Nike executive Lynn Merritt, who has been regarded as the father figure to LeBron, who signed him. And boy, do I know some interesting anecdotes about that signing, but I don't want to get sued, and it's the type of thing you can't confirm, so we'll let that one, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep quiet on that one for now. But um, he has really pushed LeBron as a Lee, and I, I, I don't know if it came from LeBron originally. I think that it's possible that Lynn Merritt came to him with this and said, this is the play, run the play. But part of the issue right now, I am so against platformism, as I'm calling it. And you see platformism in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's scolding article directed at LeBron. Uh, this idea that you've got this platform, so therefore you need to brainwash people in the correct manner. I mean, th- this is the type of thing where I can see the wisdom in it and I get it at, at, at to a certain extent. But the problem is that you start nudging all these people who just aren't that guy, who just don't know anything, who, who aren't even interested in the in the topics in the politics. And I don't think we need more people speaking. Everybody has a theoretical platform. It's a fucking cacophony. I don't think everybody needs to be saying whatever we think they need to be saying in the moment, in part because often whatever is considered wisdom by the powers that be at a given time is often foolish. So there's that. Um, And so I think LeBron's just not that guy. That's sort of what I was saying in the article, that He's moving in this direction. He's trying to do something, and it's just not working because there's an inherent phoniness, and it's combined with, hey, you could be an athlete who makes political statements, but there needs to be a measure of impulse control that he has not demonstrated on social media. And this Spider-Man meme is... God, I I feel ridiculous just even saying it. This Spider-Man meme is just one more example this important thing I'm talking about, but that's, yeah, I, I, you know, as much as I think that sharing that meme was foolish, um, I, <laughs> I just, I look at, I look at what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar writes about it, by the way, and now I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of skipping around, but he goes, by posting the uninformed meme, LeBron has encouraged vaccine hesitancy, which puts lives and livelihoods at risk. And I'm just thinking, who is making their decision based off that? <laughs> right, right. That's what I was saying with the Rogers stuff. That's like how many people who, like, first of all, if you haven't gotten the vaccine by now, it's on purpose. Like, it, yeah, anybody who hasn't gotten it yet has made that decision not to. I don't think there's anybody who's like on the fence who's just like waiting 
on the word from LeBron James or Aaron Rodgers about whether to get the jab. <laughs> They're just waiting on the Spider-Man meme from LeBron. If it was the Spider-Man pointing at each other and one said life-saving treatment and the other said COVID vaccine, then they would have taken it. But because it was <laughs> analogizing the cold and the flu and everything else, then it's no, I, I'm just going to put my life at risk. Because but but of by LeBron the way, James. like everyone that he's seen getting it is getting the cold. Like I had COVID this week. I, I'm on day 10 of like since my symptoms started. And it was not for me personally, like a very like serious affliction. And so like th- think of like all these basketball games that are getting canceled. And we're not really hearing about very many of these players like getting hospitalized, let alone having like near death experiences. Well, that's, and, so- and that's how people do make their decisions. They do. It's not on the basis of statistics always. I took COVID more seriously when a neighbor of mine got it and nearly died and had to have a lung transplant. That made it very real. That worried the hell out of my wife when that happened. And that's not scientific that's anecdotal but that's how people react and if you're in the nba surrounded by some of the greatest athletes in the world dudes in their 20s who have single digit body fat percentages covid is going to bounce off of them like a nerf ball it's not going to do much to them in most cases and that's probably informing whatever lebron's take is on it so with that i i want to bring up jf just because you know he's uh he's been a chat superstar and let's get him into the next caller. And I will do the delaying thing until uh, we can hear the caller. And I will just keep <laughs> rambling. JF, uh, how you doing? Yeah, how's it going, guys? So, Hi. Hey. This is a really interesting topic. I don't even know where to start. You guys thrown so much out there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll try to steer the conversation back to the NBA and its kind of television deal. And how it's been kind of a massive failure, failure uh, the past... I don't know, five years, six years. Uh, did you guys see Jabari Young's uh, report or article late spring, early summer? The $75 billion thing? Yes. Yes. So what are your thoughts? Because I have plenty on them. Um, I don't know any executive in the league who thinks it's going to be a $75 billion deal for the NBA. I think when I ran the numbers, the deal would effectively be the deal would effectively be what the NFL gets paid. And I just don't think that I I don't look, man, I have to take back everything I ever said about Adam Silver. That was critical if that happens. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know who Jabari is speaking to. I I am wary uh, of saying this guy's on to nothing. Right. I just know the TV executives I use for sources, the league executives I use for sources on this stuff. The reaction was, look, I, I don't know anything about that happening. I think they expect it to be bigger. Certainly, they expect it to be bigger than last time. Um, but that level of pricing, I'm trying to even remember what it was per year. Uh, it might have been what? I think it was or... 10 years, seven and yeah. a half billion a year. Or was it... Yeah, it was it was 10 years, 75 billion. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I haven't heard anything like that. Anything. Um, but if it happens... 
egg on my face. And well, geez, imagine what it would have been if the NBA actually grew in viewership over the past well, few years. Me, my God. Well, well, to me, I, I thought it read like it was written by league PR, right? This is a favor being done by Jerry or CNBC for them to print this. And I saw it as like a desperate signal from the NBA that things weren't going well with the networks in their TV negotiation, right? Mm. Because there was absolutely, they threw this massive number out there. There was no mention of falling ratings uh, or... Uh, you know, that the streaming services were interested. He just threw in like, oh yeah, it could be an all-in package or, you know, the streaming providers could get involved, right? There was absolutely no detail tying any of that with any kind of uh, based, uh, or I would say any kind of valuation basis that they'd be up to paying for this. And the whole thing, it just blew my mind because uh, I'd done a little bit of research for a deal probably 2015 on the cable industry and it is, it is looking very desperate and it's getting worse and worse. And I think the death knell for cable uh, came uh, in 2020 when basically they were probably jumping for joy when they expected, uh, when they were, you know, being told, the entire world was being told to stay in their homes, right? They're going to have a captive audience uh, and people are going to be watching a lot more cable TV. But what happened was cord cutting actually accelerated. Right. And I remember uh, you mentioned Mark Cuban. He said when they were forming the bubble or, you know, they're executing it. He's like, yeah, we're bringing NBA back and everyone's going to watch it. But hilariously, like they got they lost like half their audience. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, the, I mean, the, the games with no fans were um, it, it made a gigantic difference. Yeah. But no, I, I understand a lot of what you're saying. So. I'll I'll go through some of my reporting on what um on how they like got such a big increase on their last deal. So yeah, to to have a big increase, you need a stocking horse, and what they had at that time, and it was at like 2012, 2013 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, Fox Sports was like very interested in getting into the league as a third rights partner, and so it was technically still in like the exclusive window that like ESPN and Turner had to negotiate, but Fox sports at that point owned these regional sports networks cord cutting hadn't started yet. And what they were going to do was they were going to have that Saturday game that went to ABC. That was going to be on big Fox. And then they were going to have weeknight games that were um, like part of their RSN inventory that was going to air on FS1. And so they had like a credible case that that was going to happen. And so ESPN and Turner just backed up the Brinks truck to prevent the rights from ever formally coming to market. And so if they have, like, I, I think that like Amazon is the one where they would really want them to be the partner. Amazon just bought up exclusive NFL rights. Yeah. Um, I don't know though that ESPN and Turner would be like as scared of losing some inventory to them as they were losing it to Fox before like Fox sold off two thirds of the company and got out of the RSN business and then cord cutting happened. And so, um, you know, I don't the, the exact number what they're going to get is like very difficult to say. I'd guess that Jabari Young's number is high off the top of my head, but I do think that they're going to get an increase just because 
we're still in the streaming wars where like Peacock is like way behind. Maybe they get desperate and throw out like a wild number to get like premium exclusive live content. Maybe like Amazon wants to become the next ESPN and become like a blockbuster live rights holder. Like Apple and Netflix and Facebook have not, and Google have not gotten into this at all from like a meaningful exclusive rights thing. And like maybe Netflix is like, Oh, our growth is stalled. We need sports, but I, I don't see it reaching that number to your point. Well, uh, you know, so the stars really aligned for them back in 2013. I didn't know about that Fox stocking horse part. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Cord cutting really didn't really happen. It was very small numbers at that point. And revenue is probably still at peak for the industry. Uh, number two was they had TiVo was pretty ubiquitous at that time. So live programming had a premium for ad buys and NBA had a lot of content for, uh, you know, for the networks uh, to yeah. get premiums on ad so that is gone because basically we've already lost a third of cable TV subscribers since uh, 2012, right? So if you contrast yes. that with what exactly what's going on now, and it's declining, you know, faster than ever, uh, you know, it's probably going to be at 50% by the time this next deal kicks in. So you're looking at half the revenue, we'll say approximately just from the subs, you're losing like probably equal that from the ad dollars because that's getting moved and shifted to other platforms as less people are watching cable. And I really don't think, and I think, I think the streaming ser- ser- providers, and I see Ben Thompson here, is really not a threat to be involved with NBA content. And there's a lot of reasons for that because uh, they like to, what ha- the big inflection point for Netflix uh you know, it's amazing. When they went digital, they had like they had like a 10x event, but then they came down. The stock price came down. What really set it off again was House of Cards. Them owning their own content and doing the production was a game changer for uh, Netflix and the entire industry because they didn't have to deal with all the regional right uh, licenses. Uh, you know, there was no royalty freeze for fees on something that gets popular like a Friends or The Office. Uh, and so all this money now is better served buying and creating their own content than buying licenses for NBA. And you saw these massive roll-up strategies from Disney, HBO, or AT&T to buy media properties and put it on their platforms. And, you know, you mentioned Amazon. They just bought MGM for like $8 billion. Would you rather buy, you know, the entire catalog of MGM for $8 billion or one year of NBA? And with this, this is evergreen content and IP. So they can, you know, produce more James Bond shows or movies uh, and, it, you know, translate it to every other language. They can go globally, whereas the NBA, you know, it's, you know... Uh, it doesn't work as well overseas because of the time shifting. Mm-hmm. So I think they're really struggling here to actually find another uh, counterparty to bid up the price because the stream platforms, it's just not in their, their kind of DNA to go to be leasing content like this, especially like I said, when they're doing, when they're going out and buying other media catalogs, producing their content. And, and, you know, finally I'll say one last point here, which I think is, is really uh, interesting with the kind of rise of uh, all these platforms at once over the past few years, the TV model in general is absolutely just dead. The NFL is able to survive it. Um, the network stuff 
And I think the number one reason is just the low tolerance for TV commercials. You know, I think the trade-off of 22 minutes of content for eight minutes of ads, you know, was reasonable back when they had a monopoly on in-home entertainment. But it absolutely, you know, this now that we have streaming platforms with zero ads and we have Twitch and we have YouTube, this is just not something that the consumer is going to tolerate. And uh, and and I'll throw one other point here too. Adam Silver, he doesn't know, he, you know, he failed to realize that the NBA is a television entertainment product, right? These games have been absolutely horrible, uh, you know, over the last few years with the, you know, endless replay reviews, uh, you know, foul baiting, whatever. So he's ruining his own product. He doesn't realize that, you know, I think he's late to it now. They're making changes, but, um, you know, it may have passed him. I, I do agree that Adam Silver is a bloodless bureaucrat who does not understand beyond a focus group what people are into. But I think that I think that there might be additional commentary here. And I want to get in the chat. I want to eventually get to O and Sean who are waiting. But we see Ben in the chat, the great Ben Thompson. I need to hear his thoughts on this issue. It's uh, it's just necessary. So let's let's call Ben up. Ben, 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 how you doing? Yeah, don't don't call me great. I, you know, I hate that. Um, the just, just okay make, Ben Thompson. What is your take? No, I just <laughs> want to make one point where I think the this commentary that focuses on ratings, I think, really misses the point, which continues to be that. And I said this last time I called in, which is that <laughs> ESPN and the NBA are all in the same boat. They're not. They they the money comes from affiliate fees. Period. And I think one of the most important things that happened was over Christmas when ESPN, YouTube TV tried to try to take on ESPN, try to take on Disney, and got their asses handed to them because as soon as they took off, they took off ESPN. Like we're going to lower your bill fifteen dollars. That's how much you're trying to take for this. A bunch of people canceled, and they gave in within forty eight hours, and and they came back and they paid Disney exactly what Disney said everybody else was paying them. So that's where the money comes from. The money comes from the fact that a channel, a a multi-channel video distributor is not viable without ESPN. And why is it not viable with ESPN? Because ESPN has all the important sports. Is the NBA the biggest sport? Not even close. Is it one of the important sports? Absolutely. Yeah. It fills a ton of inventory. And that's why the national TV deal is going to be big. It's going to be bigger than the last one. ESPN is fine with the current deal. They have no regrets about it. And and so as we've discussed, the regional sports networks are a different issue because they don't have a bundle. Like ESPN has a ton of sports, right? So they get the college football people mad. They get the NBA people mad. They get everyone mad if, if they go off the air. If a regional sports network is off the air, there's not enough people to care. And so things like YouTube TV don't care about the regional sports networks. But the the ESPN needs the NBA just as much as the NBA needs ESPN. And that's why the national deal is going to be fine. Um, yeah, that's all I had to say. We're, we're yeah. not disagreeing that it's going to be fine. What we're saying is we don't think it's going to triple. Yeah. Well, I think no, everybody no, no, no. agrees I, I, on I, that. No, I, I, yeah, I, no, I agree on that too. But I, yeah. I was just because sort of like, I just hear that because people, because it's, it's such a tempting narrative and you see it everywhere that, oh, look at the ratings. The ratings are down. Look at cord cutting. Cord cutting is doing this. Like, that's all true, but what people miss is that doesn't make ESPN want to dump the NBA. It actually makes ESPN need the NBA even more. And, mm. and that's, the, that's the mistake that people make when they're, when they're looking at sort of this, this general situation. Like, ESPN and the NBA and the NFL and everyone else are going to make this 
affiliate fee model go as long as it can possibly go. And it's, it's going, it's stabilized a bit. It's going to continue to stabilize. And that's probably what's going to happen. It's just going to become like a sports bundle where you have to get cable TV or YouTube TV or whatever you want. If you want to watch sports and the vast, and all the, like, you already see this, all the actual TV has gone to streaming, like just like dramas and stuff along those lines. And, and that's probably where it's going to stabilize. I'm actually skeptical we'll ever see the main sports products become over-the-air direct payment sort of things because they get so much more money by being a bundle and basically being all, all lumped in together. Yeah, I think I think we're all in agreement that the next deal will be bigger, uh, maybe not $75 billion, but it will be bigger. I guess two points, one, uh, one more cultural, the other business. Uh, I think my main issue, my main fixation is a cultural observation. If the NBA is half as popular in the United States where I live uh, as it was, a half decade ago, then, as somebody who grew up with it, as somebody who made his money off of it, um, that is certainly a major phenomenon. Maybe it's not the greatest tragedy in the world, but uh, in terms of just cultural capital, um, it, that's that's massive. That's huge. That has ramifications. That's probably something that I underplay and don't talk about enough. But on the, the business front, I wonder if the NBA is advantaged by being the last Pokemon or whatever we want to call it, because it seems like ESPN, and Ryan, maybe you can add to this, has everything else other than the NBA locked up. Uh, well, though, the, the, there's two left. There's the Big Ten, which ESPN could possibly lose to CBS right now because ESPN poached the, um, the main SEC package from them, and so CBS is going to vie for this. And then it's the NBA. So it's those two are the last two Pokemon. Mm. Um, I I would push back on one minor point that Ben said that um, this is stabilized. Um, ESPN lost another 8 million subscribers in the last year, which is like 10% of what they had going into the year. So they, they went from like 84 million to 76 million in the last year. Of subscribers, they make like ten dollars a month per subscriber. Um, so you multiply that, and they're making one hundred twenty million, um, the one hundred twenty dollars per year. Losing eight million of those is losing like a billion dollars in revenue. Now, granted, their fee structure is going up a little, so they're not losing all of that, but they're down from about a little over a hundred million at their peak about a decade ago to 76 million now. And the real question is what is the bottom? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think Ben was saying it's going to stabilize, but that is a great question as to where it's going to level out at. So uh, I should, Oh, O has been waiting forever. Hopefully still awake. Let's make O the next caller. Oh, as in O-H, are you there? Hey, guys, how are you? Hey. Good. Um, I was just wondering why you think Adam Silver hasn't copped more criticism. I feel like when you used to write about the ratings all the time, Ethan, it would really annoy me because I was, like, more into basketball. And I was like, oh, geez, this guy's going on about the ratings again. But, like, over the last, like, three, four years, I feel like the product has gotten worse and I've like lost a lot of interest. And as you said, like it is a huge deal that like you lose half your audience. Like how is that not a big deal? And how is it like, it's very hard to find people that are critical of this sort of drop in viewership. And I think even if the uh, next television deal is like, 
you know, more than the last one. Like, doesn't it matter that people aren't watching your product at all? Yeah, it matters to me. Um, It's a big deal to me. And I think it's a big deal to everybody who is telling me to shut up about it because otherwise it would be dismissible. It would be ignorable. I think it makes people uncomfortable when uh, they understand that the thing that they depend on or the thing that they're into has a shrinking relevance. Now, I would defend Adam Silver in this respect. I would say the rule change of uh, the bullshit fouls not getting called. I think that's the type of thing you have to do. But that type of thing, you do it in response often to criticism. You do it in response to pressure. Back in the day, the NBA had a situation like this. After Jordan, it cratered in viewership similarly to the way it's doing right now. But the difference is, is that the media wasn't really protecting it. The media was going, the sports media was going, this is a bad product. Uh, and maybe some of the commentary might have gone over the line. I don't know. I'd have to revisit it all. But there wasn't this investment in propping it up and making excuses like there is right now. And I don't think that helps the NBA. I think that they need to be made to see where they're airing and what the issues are. And if there's just too much scoring and not enough defense and too many bullshit trips to the foul line, it's good if people are saying, hey, the product is less so. So sometimes criticism is healthy. I think that it is often the kid gloves treatment is informed by wanting the NBA to do well. And it's confounded as you know, maybe Ryan will have a thought on this, but it's confounded by how the NBA is almost this archetypal blue state sport. So it becomes a proxy in the culture war. And so people feel like they're not just defending the NBA, that they're defending something else and they're even more invested to do it if they're in media. So that's an element as well, but I don't think they're helping the NBA by protecting it. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, um, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say like everything is a proxy war right now. And there's been like a narrative. I... I wish I could like find the exact like demographics of like where the NBA has lost their um, audience. I would suspect demographically they have over-indexed losing older white men who are Fox News viewers. And I think that there's like a hesitance amongst people in the blue cities to give that type of power to those people. Yeah. And so, no, no, those people eat whatever slop you give them is the insinuation and have no agency effectively, which is madness because we could just easily do the hypothetical the other way. And it's just so obvious that if I don't know a baseball team came out as just incredibly pro-life and made that part of whatever they were doing, I know whatever analogy we use is going to not be exact, but you get what I'm saying. You know, these same reporters who are in total denial that this can influence viewership, you know what? They would be the people leading the charge if it was happening the other way and rallying everybody to boycott. And that's what's so funny about this whole this whole argument. I mean, what are the other care? thing? Yeah. The other thing is, I think that a lot of reporters aren't good at math. <laughs> I don't think that they can like sit and plug in all the independent variables and a lot of them and come to their own conclusion relative to just like seeing the press releases that the sky is 85 and sunny. Yeah. Yeah. That's also been a bit of an issue, but yeah, there there definitely is the proxy war. I think that's a huge aspect, which is maddening for somebody 
like I just like talking about it, but you know, I benefit from it. The Substack does well, so it's all good. So thank you. Oh, and we will end on Sean because you know, Ryan is not in one of these West Coast time zones, so we do have to wrap up eventually. Uh, <laughs> let's call Sean up, make him the next caller and the last caller of the night. It's been a great episode. I've appreciated the questions. Sean, hey guys, Sean, thanks for doing are this. You there? Hey, yeah, hi, yeah. Thank you both for doing this. Um, I'm also fascinated by this, as you guys just mentioned, this massive drop off over the last decade in people watching the game. And I've even noticed just on my own, on my own, you know, just personally, I went from watching like every Lakers game during the freaking Luke Walton era to now, if you know, they won a title 14 months ago, and if I, you know, catch half the games, that might even be good. And like, I don't even care that much. And I'm just wondering from both the league side and from the network side, if there's even a plan to win back like that third of viewers or that half of viewers that they've lost, because mm. it doesn't really seem like it. I know you mentioned that plan to maybe move to two or three days a week. And that makes sense to me, but like, you know, the, the random family member that may have turned it off because of like dumb LeBron comments. I don't know if that's necessarily going to move the needle for them. Yeah. I don't know if there's a plan for it. Uh, and it's hard to hit a target if you don't aim for it. And this is one of my broader critiques is that the league is almost staked its focus often on internationalizing and lost track of their domestic sphere. And I haven't seen anything to even indicate that they give a shit. I mean, other than trying to paper over the numbers and they have an aggressive PR department that really attacks you if you start to notice the slippage, but they don't seem that invested in correcting it, maybe because of the factors that Ben was talking about where they get rich either way. So the incentive just isn't there, but yeah, they don't really represent the country or see a connection between the nation and people's sentiments. You know, I'm going with the nationalism angle, but that's just one of them where the NFL really broadcasts that it's America's game. You know, that's their series that they have. You watch America's game with Bill Belichick on his life. The NBA has just as much a right to call themselves that but they don't. So it just seems like they're not that interested sometimes beyond what the numbers say in people's attachment to the sport within this country. And I think that's a shame. You know, it's a bummer. And um, I'm not sure the exact ways that they could win people back, but it has to be preceded at least by an effort and a want to do so. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, I I would assume that there has to be like owners who are like pounding their fists on the table and yelling about this, but just haven't been like the majority of them or like the influential ones. But I, yeah, I, I don't know if they, if they believe like everything is fine and they just kind of compare themselves to the rest of television as opposed to kind of studying what the NFL has done to maintain its audience. But I, I yeah, I don't know what their plan is to try and grow back. I think that they're just hoping that the bottom has happened and that in this like fragmented landscape with the subscriber and affiliate numbers that Ben was talking about, that they're just going to like be fine and make it up in like India because like it's it's going to be tricky for them in China as long as this current regime is there like i so that that growth had to have like completely stalled if not 
gone backwards. And so I don't know. Ben is back. So <laughs> we have to do an encore to close out, man. We got to we got to do a Ben encore over here. Ben, Ben, what's up? No, no, I was, I, well, well, first off, um, good, good call, Ryan, about the um, uh, about the, the, the decline this year. It was stabilized and then COVID really kicked, kicked, kicked their rear end. Um, but I do think this is where I, I, the Microsoft thing does come in a little bit. I think that it's a little fantastical and out, out in the future. And Ethan, you're right. A big part of this is just their infrastructure was so decrepit and Turner was so bad that they needed someone to do a better job. But I do think there is some hope that it will enable more things like watching a game with a friend, like having more sort of interactive sort of things. Because a point you've made again and again, Ethan, is the NBA got so caught up in Twitter and basically forgot that the point of the whole thing is the games that I think it really led them astray. And, it, you know, it's hard to imagine, you know, five or six years ago, everyone's making fun of the NFL for blocking videos on Twitter and stuff. And they like they, they've mm-hmm. had it right. Like social media doesn't pay the bills. And I think that the a part of the Microsoft deal is definitely a real desire to invest in the game watching experience itself. And again, we'll see how much that works out. I think I love the Elam ending point that Ryan made earlier. I think there's a lot of stuff that can be due to improve the, the quality of the game. But I do think that is part of the motivation for that deal. Yeah, and I think Evan Wash is uh, a smart guy and a bold guy uh, within the NBA. And he's the guy who's been trying these wacky ideas. And I, I don't know. I never killed any of these ideas, but I might have been suspicious of them but when I heard of the Elam ending and the play-in tournament. But they've pretty much worked, you know, and it's why I'm not going to crush them for the midseason tournament idea, even though that one doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It, it seems like some of their bolder ideas, at least we can give them credit for that. They we can might give not them be- credit for like NBA top shot and stuff like that too. Like they, they had top shots out on the market before I even knew what an NFT was. Like, yeah. uh, so th- they, they have had a lot of like innovations um, and they, they do have the youngest audience and maybe they can figure out how to harness that in different digital platforms faster than other leagues are able to. But I do think that it's problematic the amount of viewers that they've lost over the last several years. Yeah, I think uh, it's not good. It's definitely worse than gaining. It's definitely losing half the viewers is is definitely worse than than doubling the viewership. And with that nugget of wisdom, uh, I thank everybody who called in and who listened. This will come out later as a podcast that you can enjoy. Ryan, great job, man. Uh, great job. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, man. Uh, what do you want to plug right now so people know where to visit you? Um, search Ryan Glassbeagle on Twitter, at Sports Report. I'd love to get to 10,000 followers. Um, just it's been a benchmark. Oh, have you learned nothing? More. Have you learned nothing that, that Twitter is not real life, Ryan? I mean, wasn't that the whole... <laughs> Was that the whole conclusion? We I, were I have to? a friend who's going to host me for like a sports book day in Memphis when I hit 10,000. So it's been a call. Okay. Well, get <laughs> Ryan to that sports book in Memphis so he can lose his life savings. Stay safe out there. Everybody, happy holidays. Happy New Year. Until next time. See Bye, ya. guys. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks.